Welcome to the Food Junkies podcast. Here, we aim to provide you with the experience, strength, and hope of professionals actively working on the front lines in the field of food addiction. The purpose of our show is to educate you, the listener, and increase overall awareness about food addiction as a disease with abstinence as the solution. Here, we talk about all things recovery. Most importantly, how to thrive rather than just survive. So stay positive, make a change for yourself, tell others about your change, and hopefully the message will spread. Hey there, Food Junkies listeners. Molly here. Today, Clarissa and I interview Netta Gorman of the Life After Sugar podcast. We had a lot of fun and really got to know Netta much better. And before I get to that episode, I wanted to tell you about our special limited time group, two sessions of hypnotherapy for cravings with Victoria Hama, chronic pain and wellness coach. Session one will be about creating better resolve, both consciously and subconsciously by utilizing different visualization and techniques the subconscious loves. Using your own internal desire, session two will walk you through a visualization to give you back the power to decide what you want and agreeing internally with yourself that you're ready to let go of the cravings instead of constantly being at war with yourself. Sessions will be Wednesday, January 18th, 2023 and Wednesday, January 25th, 2023 at 7 p.m. Eastern and will be $35 U.S. total for both sessions. You can email info at sweetsobriety.ca for more information or check show notes for the link. All right. Netta Gorman has a passion to inspire you to live a healthier, sugar-free life with joy and confidence. Netta is the host of Life After Sugar and the creator of the Life After Sugar program. Netta struggled with sugar cravings, headaches, bloating, and low energy. She used to feel exhausted all the time. Her energy crashes made her reach out for sweet snacks just to get through the day. She never wanted to cut out sugar. She loved desserts, chocolate, and her comfort foods. But Netta was suffering so much that she was willing to try something she had never tried before, ditching sugar. Netta lost her extra weight, achy joints, sluggish digestion, and sugar cravings. And she gained energy and discovered the real sweetness in her life. Clarissa and I are so happy she agreed to be on today's episode. So today we discuss how sugar impacted Netta's life what Netta has found to work best when working with clients, the Life After Sugar program, the Life After Sugar podcast, Netta's unique offerings to those who want to get off and stay off sugar, secrets to success when it comes to remaining sugar-free, what's next for Netta, and our signature question. Welcome, Netta. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Netta, so much for being with us. Clarissa and I are super excited for this conversation. So if you would just kick us off, let us know. How has sugar impacted your life? And will you share your aha moment with us? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here with you. I basically, up until the age of 45, I'm 52 now, I just thought that I was eating sugar normally. In fact, I didn't even think about sugar. It was just part of my normal, healthy, varied, in moderation diet, which meant that basically I ate it three, four or five times a day, (laughs) you know. And for me, that was normal. And it was normal for me when I needed comfort to go to chocolate. And it was normal for me when I needed a pat on the back to go for ice cream. And it was normal for me when I needed emotional soothing to go for all the other 101 forms of sugar. And 
I never had a problem with that because it was normal and everyone else was doing it and it worked just fine for me until it didn't. Yeah. So, and also I didn't have a weight problem. And so it wasn't visible on my body that anything at all was wrong or that I needed to change anything. And okay, I was getting headaches and my, I was going to the bathroom once a week, which was in itself a problem, but I certainly didn't see any kind of connection with sugar. In fact, sugar was helping me feel better about it (laughs) as it did helped me to feel better about my PMS and my mood swings and my anxiety and my swelling in my feet and my bloating and everything else, right? So I had all these symptoms, but in my mind, sugar was helping me feel better about the symptoms. And of course, I didn't make that connection that sugar was actually causing those symptoms or at least partially causing them. So it was when I was 45 that I couldn't handle my digestion anymore. And going to the bathroom once a week was no longer (laughs) normal enough to be acceptable. It was very painful, as you can imagine. It was toxic for my body. And so to make a long story short, and I tell it in more detail on on my own podcast, but basically it was suggested to me by a nutritional therapist to stop for two weeks, just for two weeks, (laughs) no longer, sugar sweeteners and flour or refined grains. And this was back in 2015 in the summer. And I said, no, no way. Are you crazy? Like, why would I, like, what? (laughs) And so it seemed totally crazy to me. And, you know, because I wasn't making that connection between my symptoms and sugar, I said, well, why would I do that? What I need is a solution for my digestion. And of course, she knew that my nutritional therapist knew this was a solution, but I had to get it and I didn't get it. So I resisted it and I rejected it. And my aha moment was weeks after when I realized, oh, wait, nothing is changing. If I don't change anything, nothing is going to change. So I thought, oh, I'll give it a try. And really that was the tipping point or that pivotal moment when I said to myself, I'll give it a try. That was my aha. Yeah. So then how did you bridge from personal to professional? Well, um, I didn't. I just just stopped sugar, just, (laughs) easier said than done, but I stopped sugar and sweeteners and refined grains for that two-week period. And again, to make another long story short, I felt so much better at the end of the two weeks, not at the beginning of the two weeks, but at the end of it, that the nutritional therapist said to me, well, you can start reintegrating a little bit of sugar. And I said, no, don't tell me what to do. Um, (laughs) So I said, no, I'm going to carry on without all those things because I'm feeling so much better. I don't want to stop feeling better or go back or even go back to the sort of the detox symptoms that I'd had in the first few days. So I just carried on and I carried on and I carried on. And then my blood work came back so much better and my signs of a fatty liver had disappeared and my bloating went away and my few extra post-baby pounds that I did have to lose melted away effortlessly. I wasn't feeling hungry. I wasn't calculating or weighing or or looking at macros or doing anything other than enjoying myself. 
and kind of sticking it to the whole diet approach of you've got to feel awful while you're doing some sort of different meal plan. And I'm like, no, I'm just eating food and enjoying it and looking and feeling better in the process. And this went on for three years. And after three years, I thought, I think I'm doing something amazing. In fact, I was told, Netta, you're doing something amazing. What? Tell us how you do it. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I got in touch with a friend of mine who's a, a journalist in a, at a local paper. And I have to say, I live in French-speaking Quebec, even though it doesn't sound like it. Originally from the UK, yes. But I've been living in French-speaking Quebec for over 30 years. So, so the journalist I got in touch with was, you know, in the French-speaking media. And I decided at the beginning of 2018 to make a website, which is yet another long story short. <laughs> You don't just make a website, <laughs> FYI. And one, when my website was ready and I had my little, you know, mini courses ready because I'm a teacher and you can't say anything without teaching, then he put it in the papers. It was the 1st of June, 2018, and out it came in all the Quebec newspapers and then they were calling me to be on the radio and all. It was like a big deal. And I got hundreds of people coming to my website and getting on my email list and buying my little courses. And then I, be, you know, in the space of 48 hours, I became a mini star in, in Quebec, in French. And then I thought, gosh, I can help a lot of people. And yet another long story short, I decided in the end to switch from French to English because it's just a bigger, first, it's a bigger pool of people, bigger population. Plus it's my first language. And although I'm fluently bilingual, it's still easier in English. And that's when I decided to make another website in English and to create my own podcast. So mm. can you talk to us a little bit about how you work with clients now? What have you found works best? What have you found doesn't work so well? Yeah. All right. So for me personally, what I found works well is to make people think first and foremost. And I realized that, again, I sort of, I, I have a bit of a large bone to pick with the diet culture that I found has us just following, you know, what they tell us to do without really questioning anything or thinking for ourselves or educating ourselves. And as I said, you know, I'm a teacher. I've been a teacher at college level for over for 30 years now. And it's the thing that I do best. I teach English as a second language, but what I really do best, my students tell me, is to make them think. So this is why I do this in the work that I do to help people let go of sugar, transform their relationship with sugar, which starts with the awareness of the relationship that we already have with sugar. And that awareness can only begin when we actually stop and think. And so that's what I find works best, where I don't do the thinking for the people that I help. I guide them towards their own aha moments. And once they've had, they've got that awareness, then anything is possible. So when, when we're talking about the way that you work with clients, do you primarily work one-on-one? -on -one? Is it these courses? Are there groups? You know, what what format works best for the folks that you work with? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I 
the way that I present the aha moments that I, you know, I lead people to are first of all, not even for paying clients. They're all on my social media and especially on my podcast, the Life After Sugar podcast. And it's really like people have to be at a certain point in their journey to come and join my membership. I have a private membership, a paid membership that's called the After Sugar Club and a program called the Life After Sugar Program, which is a lot more sort of a lot more handholding. But it's always in a small group. I don't do one on one. It's always in a small group context. And because I find that just like in, in a small mini classroom, as it were, the aha moments of others and the awareness and the, the path that others follow are just as helpful and inspiring for people as their own path. And they help each other. It's like this amazing family connection that develops in a small group situation that I honestly don't think I can offer on just one-to-one, you know? So I prefer that. My people prefer that. Whether it's more self-study with support in the membership or whether it's more me guiding. I don't baby people. I guide them and I treat them as adults. (laughs) And so that's what it's like in the program, the Life After Sugar program. Yeah. So I guess that kind of leads me to wonder who would be a good fit for your for your services versus who would maybe not be such a great fit? Yes. Well, you know, you could say that everybody in the world who eats sugar would benefit from <laughs> reducing or cutting sugar. And But I don't help everybody. I just can't and nor do I want to. But naturally, over the last few years, what I've noticed is that people that naturally gravitate towards me and my message are also doing intermittent fasting. And would either they started because it recently became a thing, or they started like me way before they even knew it was a thing. It depends. Or anything in between. Although I must say, I, I don't know that many people that have been doing intermittent fasting for as long as I have, because like, let's face it, it it just wasn't a thing. You know, we've been told to eat small portions frequently for so many years that it just feels like not eating for a certain number of hours is like contrary to (laughs) some sort of dogma, whereas it's, you know, it fits very well with human biology. So it, it seems that um, many, many people that sort of resonate with me and my message are already either doing intermittent fasting or a believer of it, but having st- struggling with it because of sugar. <laughs> and sugar makes you think that you're hungry all the time. And so it makes intermittent fasting really, really difficult because you think you're like white knuckling it. and Real fasting doesn't require white knuckling and doesn't lead to feeling hungry at all. But there's a sort of a missing part there about what sugar does to your blood sugar levels and how we interpret those spikes and crashes in blood sugar levels as being hunger. And weirdly enough, we're eating more often and feeling hungry more often when we're consuming sugar. What's that about? right? And that's what I realized when I stopped eating sugar and flour and all the foods that spiked my blood sugar before, my blood sugar is now totally stable. And that feeling that I used to interpret as being hunger, 
I don't think I've had it for seven years since I stopped eating sugar and flour in 2015. And therefore intermittent fasting just came naturally and easily and effortlessly. And so I help people who come to me and say, look, I want to cut sugar. I get that it's causing me not just intermittent fasting being more difficult, but it's also causing all the physical problems, the emotional problems, psychological, neurological, name it. And I just don't know how to stop and stay stop. And I help with the, not just the how to stop, but also not just how to stay stopped, but how to make it a joyful experience. Yeah. So it sounds to me like you are pretty much working with, I would say, harmful to moderate users of sugar, those individuals who can do intermittent fasting, but they are struggling with just, they keep going back or slipping on the sugary foods. And so it sounds like that would be like your program would be a great fit for them. Is that also what your podcast is about? Like what made you want to start the podcast? Who is it for? Yes. The podcast was some, it was really sort of a personal challenge for me because I knew I had things to say and a message to get out to the world. And it seemed like a podcast would be a good forum for a teacher who never stops talking. <laughs> so um, I, I remember I said to a friend of mine who also has a podcast called UK Low Carb, I said to him, look, I'm going to get my podcast out there by July, uh, no, by January, sorry, by January 2021. And January 31st, 2021 came along and I had no choice but to press publish on my podcast. And basically what I wanted for the podcast and what has transpired to be the reality of it is to have different points of view about cutting or reducing sugar. Different people, not just me, not just about me all the time, but different points of view from different people about how they changed their relationship with sugar, about how they reduced. It's not all 100% cutting sugar. It's across the board. And it's across the board from vegans to carnivore, from vegetarians to keto, from, oh goodness, all over the world, all sorts of accents, which I love as an English teacher. And people say, I have an accent, but I'm not the one with the accent, surely. And so I used to speak the Queen's English. Now it's become the King's English, but it's all good. And I, it's just a whole range. There are as many ways of reducing or cutting sugar as there are people. And it's all good. And I think what people find so inspiring about the podcast, and it's called Life After Sugar, is that they feel there's a place for them. If he can do it, I can do it. If she can do it, I can do it. And it's all, it's not all around me becoming this sort of on a pedestal in my ivory tower. It's, you know, regular people. And I'm not an expert in the nutrition field. And, and I didn't study human biology, but, you know, after, I don't know, high school, I didn't. But I, if I can get it as a non-expert, anyone can get it. And by get it, I mean the background and the the science of sugar and how it affects you. 
So I'm wondering, because we have a similar podcast, have you had any bad feedback and how did you respond to that? And if not, like, is there also particular episodes our audience should listen to? I haven't had to my face bad feedback, <laughs> you know, or, or maybe it's just my sort of sunny nature that just, <laughs> just wrote it in a pink hued glasses out there. And I, maybe they said something and I just didn't register, <laughs> but I've got plenty of five-star reviews or five-star ratings, plenty of positive reviews, not one negative review. It'll surely come one day, but the basic feedback I get is this is inspiring me to sort of imagine that this is possible for me and a big thumbs up wherever you are on your journey to dropping sugar. And so the only vaguely negative feedback I got, and it wasn't even on the podcast, it was before, it was when I invited a few intuitive eating nutritionists to be on the podcast because I I consider that I eat intuitively. Now, I couldn't have done it when I was still eating sugar. Sugar doesn't let you be intuitive. It hacks your brain, right? So, but now that my brain is calm, I have this peace and calm around food, around sugar. I can now eat intuitively because my intuition is now in touch with what I, what my body really needs, what I really enjoy eating. So, to me, in my naive outlook, I thought, oh, I can invite, you know, intuitive, i.e. nutritionists onto my podcast. Well, they wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah. And so I made a podcast episode uh, about, you know, about the fact that it's called, are you even listening? Because what I asked these when they refused, I said, well, have you listened to my podcast? And none of them had. And I'm like, you don't even know what I stand for. And you're rejecting the message that you've not even listened to. And so I'm like, bye, you know, I'm not going to invite any more of them. (laughs) Bless them. So, but the other episodes that I suggest that people check out on the Life After Sugar podcast, episodes one, two, and three, that's the story behind Life After Sugar, like my story, but I'm being interviewed by a good friend of mine who's a master interviewer. Um, the types of sugar that exist and also sort of what do you, what do you eat? <laughs> what do we eat when we don't eat sugar? And that's another listener question that I also answer on episode 66. What do you eat? What do you eat in a day, Netta? It's a complete mystery to many, many people. Also episode 12 about the whole concept of eating sugar in moderation, which comes back to what I was saying a little bit about the intuitive eating community. It's just, we know, and I'm not even a sugar addict, bona fide addict, but we know that sugar is and moderation are not in the same circles. That it's for all intents and purposes, almost impossible. Even for moderators, you know, you've got moderators, abstainers, even for moderators, moderating sugar is a challenge. So that episode 12, I've got episode 21, which where I question the whole notion of sweet equals treat, or does a treat necessarily have to be sweet? I know it rhymes and I teach poetry and everything, but 
There is episodes 70 and 71 about the five mistakes that most people make when they start to cut or reduce sugar. That's episode 70 to 71. And episode 66, I mentioned about what you eat. And then the last couple is episode 82 about fruit. What about fruit is one of the most common questions I get, which sort of, and the underlying question is, Netta, am I allowed to eat fruit? And I'm like, don't ask me if you're allowed anything. You know, I don't do allow or disallow. And then the last one is episode 85, which is a solo episode where I talk about you can't fail at your life after sugar because I don't accept the whole concept of fail. You know, I am a teacher. I can fail my students on essays and grammar tests, but you can't fail when you're cutting sugar. And that whole concept of failure belongs to the diet culture. So I definitely want people to go listen to your episode on fruit, but fruit is a question that Clarissa and I run up against a lot. We actually end up asking many of our guests about. So since you opened that door, would you mind talking a bit about fruit and, you know, what you've seen, maybe not even necessarily your personal feelings on it, but what you've seen with clients and what works and what doesn't work and and how you address it? Yeah, I think the most common and understandable reaction when we start cutting sugar is to go towards sweet tastes in fruit. And a lot of people use dried fruit or smoothies. And basically what helped me the most, and not everybody can do this or wants to do this. And in fact, I didn't want to do this, but what helped me the most is was to cut all sweet tastes for that temporary period of two weeks, including fruit. And I thought that was crazy because I thought I'd get scurvy or something, right? But, you know, FYI, you cannot get scurvy in two weeks. So they're just sort of, they calm everyone down for that. And so, and it doesn't mean that it's forever either. The, the thing that helped me, surprisingly, was that when I cut out all sweet tastes, including fruit, for that short period of two weeks, it let my taste buds reset, regenerate. And then when I tasted something that I never really thought was sweet, like an apple or something, it was overwhelmingly sweet. And so the whole thing with fruit in in and of itself, it's not a bad thing. I don't think any food is good or bad. I don't think it has a moral value. It's an inanimate object, food, right? But what I find was helpful and what I sort of encourage the people I work with to do is to experiment with their own taste buds and to see just how how amazing it is that our tastes can actually change if we let them. So if we're going, if we're running to other sweet tastes all the time, however, air quotes, healthy they are, you know, and I'm not saying that fruit isn't healthy. I'm just saying we sort of go towards that healthy label rather than think about things and experiment with our taste buds. And then if we give our taste buds the chance to just have a pause from sweet tastes of all sources, then when we do go back to say fruit, then we think, oh, you know, this is sweeter than I remember it. Maybe half a banana is enough before I'm like, oh, I can't handle anymore. And for me, you know, now half a green apple is just like, that's enough. Like sometimes like for the week, it's enough. And it's not like 
you know, I'm thinking, oh gosh, you know, there's the fructose in it and there's the carbs. I don't give a damn. It's just my taste buds are in charge. My gosh, you guys can't see us, but we're over here cheering on Netta as she's sharing um, because it's the noise. Oh my gosh, it's the noise. And like you said, food is not moral. (laughs) It's not good or bad or whatever. And even using a health halo, again, in air quotes, right? Like we've decided something's healthy or unhealthy. Unhealthy. It's like, but who says? According to who? And if we get caught up in this noise, now we're so confused. I mean, I have clients who avoid eating a potato, not because it's activating for them, right? Not because it's causing them to crave or whatever, but because somebody said it's too many carbs. So they do a cup of string beans instead when really the potato would have been more, a half a potato would have been more satiating and they would have had more enjoyment in their meal if that's what they had picked. And it's just like, ah, you guys. Yeah. And I ask yourself these questions. Yeah. I got caught up in that. And I remember thinking, oh, I can't have a potato until I thought, wait a minute, who's in charge here? (laughs) And this is a potato, you know? If you want a potato, eat the potato. Again, it goes back to check it out for yourself, your data over their dogma, because at the end of the day, we all have our dogma, right? I mean, I get on this podcast, I, you know, interviewed for yours, other podcasts, whatever platform I'm on, I have my bias, people. Clarissa has hers, Netta has it, right? We have our bias, that's dogma. And we're passionate about it. So then it can sound really convincing. But at the end of the day, you have to check it out for yourself. And I love that that's how you work with clients. You're like, I'm not going to think for them. I'm asking them these questions. And then the podcast presents that as well. I've definitely heard, I mean, I haven't heard every single episode, but I have listened to quite a few, you know, so you guys be sure to go check that out and, and listen to what Netta's saying, because she does ask really great questions. I mean, on the podcast, even you've, you ask these really great questions and they make us think. So, you know, it leads me into wondering, you know, so thinking about your journey over the last seven years, starting to work with clients, you know, creating a website, a podcast, being on things like the Kick Sugar Summit um, success stories and and doing other interviews, you know, what is something maybe that you started out believing early on that's changed after having this experience of working with clients and other people in a similar in this you know a similar vein, I guess, of this field and and what do you find you know what has changed? What have you found you need to be more flexible with? Maybe what have you kind of tightened up on? Yeah, yes. Well, first of all, I didn't know that there were all these shades of gray of the sugar world, you know, and I discovered that, you know, some people really are high up on the scale of sugar addiction and that I can't help them. I can't help them partly because I don't have that experience. I don't have the background or the expertise. That's your job. And I'm quite happy for you to do it and <laughs> to leave me with, you know, my intermittent fasters who, who are struggling with sugar. That is fine because that's who I resonate with and who resonates with me. But what I find is that the vast majority of people identify themselves as sugar addicts. And then, you know, when we start sort of passing it out and really looking a bit deeper, then they realize, oh, you know, I Netta can help me or Netta can't help me for whatever reason. And so it's like we we end up matching and mismatching pretty naturally, either just just out there on social media or in my podcast or in my program, my membership. But I think what I found was that my own 
right at the beginning, I thought I could not live without sugar. And that is a thought that comes back for a lot of people. It's like, I, it's this love-hate relationship with sugar. It's the central part of their life that answers a lot of emotional needs. And what is so tough to let go of that we don't even think about until we're made to think about it. It's not necessarily, it's not really about sugar. It's about what it represents for us, what it symbolizes for us. And that's what's difficult to change or let go of. And actually, I don't teach people to let go of the basic human needs for comfort and reward. And I mean, you know, those are all there and totally valid. What I teach is how to get them elsewhere than in sugar. And that in itself is very empowering because when our lives are filled or rather when our human needs are filled, we don't need sugar anymore. It's crowded out. And so plus we don't get all the negative effects of sugar. So we only have the positive, but that is almost impossible to imagine on your own sitting there, you know, on a Friday night when all you want to do is just stuff your face with chocolate. Ask me how I know, right? So that is this sort of from the impossible to the possible is really what I teach and what I help people with. And I think I think it helps, or I've been told that it helps people to know that if I, as a regular person, not a, a you know, not a nutrition expert, or whatever, if I can do it, then they can do it. And also being a teacher <laughs> helps because I'm I think I'm pretty good at simplifying things without dumbing them down. I don't condescend people, but I do know how to explain things in a way that makes it easy to understand. And I often get the reaction, you know, oh, is that all that all there is to it? Why didn't anyone tell me before? And I'm like, well, they did. They were just speaking in tongues. <laughs> so that is, I think, and so yeah, my 30 years experience in teaching, I think, helps a lot. No, I think that's beautiful. And I think you said it right there, the impossible to the possible. And I always say it's the I'm possible, right? To possible. And I think when I was listening to you, I'm wondering, what do you offer clients that really like separates you from other people that are out there in the field right now? Yeah, I think I can't believe that I'm going to say this and I'm a teacher at the same time. But recently I saw this quote and it says, knowledge isn't power, action is power. And I'm like, oh gosh, that's 30 years of my academic career down the drain. But but actually I realized that no, it's what I've been teaching all my career and about English as a second language and poetry and all that, the rest of it. In the same way as I teach about sugar, it's all about getting into action rather than, I think what I find a lot of times is that the, the nutrition experts try and sort of just dump a whole load of info on people and really it's counterproductive and it becomes overwhelming. And even for me, and I can handle a lot of theory, but it just becomes overwhelming. And then you're sort of, and then you feel a bit stupid for not understanding it all. And they use all these terms and all this language, you know, and it it's like you were sort of, so, you know, you were saying Ronnie about this noise. And I think that sort of what sets me apart is that there is less noise, there's less stuff and more 
support, accountability, guidance from someone who's been there, for someone who's doing it, because goodness knows I've come across enough nutrition experts who are also in my programs getting help to cut sugar. It's one thing to say it, including doctors, and it's another to actually live it like I've been doing for the last seven years, day in, day out. And I would add, it's one thing to live it and another to have fun and live it joyfully. I agree. I mean, I've never done your program, but I mean, I've, you know, we've chatted a few different times. I've heard your podcast. I've seen other interviews that you've been on. And I think every time I've come across you, you know, whether it be an interaction like this or otherwise, like you're, you always have a smile on your face. You're always making some kind of, you know, light of, like, I just think that you have a really fantastic outlook on life. And I don't know what you were like seven years ago, but if some of this is because that sugar is gone and you really truly are enjoying life, you know, I want what you have, you know what I mean? Like, it's very telling that you are walking the walk, not just talking the talk. And, you know, I'm assuming that people get that when they work with you. And and I think that's unique as well in that it's not this commercialized fly by the night, you know, hey, come get your 30-day detox off of, you know, whatever, like how it can feel really commercial and it can feel very salesy or gimmicky. That's not anything that I've ever gotten from you, Netta. And I think that's unique. I think it's unique that you do work with more of the harmful user, mild to moderate, you know, where people fall on that severity, that spectrum. And most programs out there right now really cater to the severe, which can feel suffocating and overwhelming for somebody who doesn't meet that severity level right? We're asking them to give up things and maybe not even to consider ever reintroducing them. And we're asking them to join 12-step groups or some other like, you know, community that, and not that you don't have community and that kind of thing. I mean, I think that's really helpful, but it's just, it's, it's a different kind of commitment. It's a different level of intervention. And there aren't many people who, you know, show up for those folks who are just like curious, right? Like, sugar sober curious like how do I just get off of it and and what if my life was better without it or you know like you said there's moderators and obsceners and you're starting to realize like not even moderators are having an easy time moderating and so just to be able to show up and speak that language and say listen it can look like this or or whatever I think I think what you do is totally unique so um I just wanted to throw that in there you know I think that you do offer something that's very different you know it's very different than what Clarissa and I do definitely not that not that we wouldn't work with somebody like you would you know or meets meets that level but typically that's not who we get like you said we get the more moderate severe you know that kind of intervention level that's needed so I really wanted to ask you again these last seven years working with people whether it be students or not I mean I think this kind of applies across the board since you do work with so many human beings you know yeah what what would you say is like the factor or, or number one factor or maybe there's multiple factors that you find the most successful, students or clients, if you will, have? Is it, you know, what, is it any one thing? Is it a combination of things? Talk to us. I think the personality trait that people have that make them successful when they come to see me is first of all, open-mindedness. 
and a willingness to step out of their comfort zone. And, you know, I'm totally aware that they're already in a discomfort zone. <laughs> you know, it's already uncomfortable to be hooked on sugar. And But, but when, what I mean by stepping out of your comfort zone is it's just to entertain the possibility of what you have always believed is either impossible or it's possible, but not for you. And so just to put your own beliefs to one side about sugar and to look with a wider angle at what may be possible that you have never thought of and never thought you were capable of, that's one thing. So open-mindedness, an adventurous spirit, because, you know, I also talk a lot about gut health in my programs and in my in my membership. And I, I make my own fermented foods and drinks and I teach other people how to do that in the simplest way possible. Yogurt and kefir and kombucha and kimchi and sauerkraut, all that good stuff. And that you won't find anywhere else, I think. But that you have to have a pretty open mind to even want to learn about it, let alone want to learn how to make it. And, you know, having things sitting around at room temperature fermenting. I mean, it sounds to a lot of people, it's like, ooh, right? But no, it's one of the best things you can do for your gut health, your general health. And sugar, by the way, is the worst thing that you can put in your body for gut health. So it's like, first, cut out sugar and just automatically your gut health will get better. But second, if you add these probiotic foods, these fermented foods to your diet, you're like, you know, it's 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 gut health on steroids. <laughs> I don't think steroids are that good for gut health, but you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm mixing my metaphors. What else? I think people who are resourceful are also more successful because they're not waiting for me to spoon feed them, that I will give them something and they will run with it. And so that is also, I found in my experience, something that, yeah, that people have success, have as a personality trait. And, you know, I call it life after sugar and not life without sugar. And it has nothing to do with whether people actually eat sugar or not. It's to do with the word, here comes the English teacher. It's to do with the word after and without, without just feel so negative you know, and restrictive. And after, it's like your life before and after. You know how you get these pictures of people and how much weight they've lost or how much better their skin feels? Well, for me, between you and me, I don't care what people eat. I care how they feel. And life after sugar is all about how you feel when you're living sugar-free, when you feel free from the hold that sugar has on you. And so that's what after is all about. And actually my program follows a framework that I created that I call after that has the letters A, F, T, E, R that stand for different elements that we follow in this framework in the Life After Sugar program. And so with this Life After Sugar, what is next for you, Netta? Well, I'm going to continue my program. I'm going to continue the membership for people who, you know, need more of a self-study sort of with, with calls twice a month. And then the program is a lot more calls with me and a lot more guidance. But the next step, I think I'll write a book. In fact, yeah, it's, it's not so much. In fact, the book has been written. 
And I wrote it in 2017, like only an English teacher can write a book. In other words, it reads like a Jane Austen novel that quite frankly, I reread a, a, a year or two after I'd written it. And I thought, even I don't think it's interesting. <laughs> it's, my, it's my story. So I rewrote it and a second time in 2019. And then I find that it reads more like an academic essay. So I'm rewriting it a third time. And really what people are interested in is not some sort of lecture. It's my story. And I'm going to take the sto different stories from the podcast to show again, if it's possible for us in all the different colors of what sugar-free means and looks like, then it's possible for you. And really, that's all people need is just that little, that thumbs up to say, you can do this. That's amazing. And I'm, I'm definitely excited for the book whenever that's ready, you know? Okay. So we always have like a signature question that we like to ask our guests and we reworded it, reframed it a bit to make it unique and interesting to you, Nada. So it, what is something you would tell your younger self about sugar? I think I would tell my younger self that dropping sugar is just like learning a new language. And that when you start, you think, I'll never understand it. I'll never be able to do it. It's all gobbledygook. And then step by step, you learn a, a few words and then you put them together in a few sentences. And little by little over time, you can become fluent in being sugar-free. And it becomes second nature or like being bilingual, which I have experience in, where, you know, where it just, it just becomes natural. It becomes part of who you are. And so, again, we were talking about making the impossible possible. And even if you only speak one language, you can still learn how to be sugar-free and how to live feeling free from sugar just like you can learn. It's just like learning a new language. Oh, I love that so much. And it's so true. I always say like, we need to learn the language of self-compassion in recovery, but this is also another language, right? It's just that I don't need that. This is what I do. This is how my life looks like today. And you're so right. It just becomes a different language that you speak every day. Thank you so much for being here, Netta. You're yes, very, very you. welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Sugar-Free for Life Support Group, I'm Sweet Enough. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or Stitchers. That way you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, which is available on Amazon. If you have any additional questions, both Molly and Clarissa are food addiction professionals and work one-on-one -on -one with clients. You can find their websites and email addresses in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Friday when our new episodes drop. As Vera loves to say, the power is ours. <laughs>